0: Honestly, if my tagline is my job is I make half naked people sweaty, or at least I did for (laughs) a long time.
1: As trainers and coaches, we love to talk about fitness, whether it's writing training programs, how to better coaching to our clients, or simply nerding out about our favorite exercises. The training part of the equation is always fun. But what about the other side? What about recovery? While it's getting more and more notoriety these days, having a better understanding of recovery is a key piece of the puzzle and one I'm excited to talk about with today's guest. Pete McCall is a fitness educator responsible for educating thousands of fitness professionals all over the world. He is the director of education for EOS Fitness and operates a consulting service that creates and delivers fitness education content. And today, Pete and I are going to talk a ton about recovery and how you can better plan and program it for your clients and athletes. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. I remember being fascinated by recovery early in my career, and much like Pete, it began with the Russian system. At the time, these translated Russian texts were all the rage, and I couldn't wait to get a book by Michael Yesis and Mel Sif called Russian Sports Restoration and Massage in my library. But while exotic recovery methods may sound sexy and cool, you and I both know that the basics of recovery should be your foundation. So today, Pete and I are going to discuss the importance of nutrition and sleep how to plan your workouts for maximum effectiveness, and how your training program for gen pop athletes should look eerily similar to the methods you'd use when training athletes. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll jump into this awesome new episode with Pete McCall. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you people who are serious about the results they get, and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the cert only open twice per year for a limited time, but if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to CompleteCoachCertification.com, again that's CompleteCoachCertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete coach certification launches. Pete, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: I'm a Leo. I'm about five foot nine, gray hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm a sorry. Leo too. Two Leos. Let's go.
0: It sounded, like I was, it sounded like I was getting ready to do my hinge profile. No, I am. Nice to meet you, Mike. And I really, I, I appreciate your, your having me on. And for the listeners out there, I really appreciate the, the fact that you're going to be sharing a little bit of your time with me today. So hopefully it make it worth your while. But no, I'm a, a background is I'm a personal trainer. I, always, I consider myself a personal trainer, but that's just how I started in the fitness industry. And from there, I've been a strength coach. Then I evolved a number of years ago to being an educator. So, primarily for a number of years, for a number of years, I worked with the American Council on Exercise, National Academy of Sports Medicine as a education consultant, creating education content for them. And I've also worked for as a global master trainer for Nautilus and Stairmaster. So, prior to from about 2014 to 2020, I had a really sweet gig where I did a lot of international travel representing Nautilus and Stairmaster at various uh, events and, and working with health club companies overseas because I don't know if how many people realize, but the fitness markets overseas, the health club markets in places like Brazil, Mexico, and China are blowing up just like they are here in the States. Mm. And so I was fortunate enough to be with a company that trusted me to send me over there to, to, educate, their, to educate trainers on how to use our products. So I've been doing education, fitness education, almost exclusively for the better part of 15 years, 16 years now. And that's where I saw there are certain needs back there. So yeah, my, my history started out, I started out as a personal trainer. I'm also a certified strength coach and just really, I'm a fitness geek, man. I love yeah. studying fitness. I love doing fitness. I love coaching fitness. I love helping others ha- learn how to do fitness. It just, I, it, It's a silly belief, I think, but this has been my driving, been my my own personal vision for the last 20 years. And that's, I just want to help the world be a better place through exercise and fitness. I love it.
1: I love it, man. That's cool. Okay, so talk to me. What got you started in the world of physical preparation, personal training? What got you started down this path?
0: Honestly, '80s yeah. movies. '80s oh, movies. Yeah. Yes. Let's go. I'm a I'm a 51 year old Gen Xer. I grew up in the '80s. Yeah. You had Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean Claude Van Damme. You had yeah. Sylvester Stallone. You had guys with huge muscles kicking ass and getting all the girls. So who <laughs> wouldn't want to do that? So as a right. 15, 15, 16 year old in 1987, 1988. And that's when i started i went to start the local ymca and then ended up uh, getting a job at a bally's when my senior year in high school just basically where i had no idea what i was doing they had and this was sure. 1990 and the fitness industry was just brand new you had health clubs but really there was no education there was nothing out there so yeah that's how i got i mean honestly i was just motivated i wanted to be like arnold i wanted to be like all the movie stars with big muscles and able to kick ass
1: yeah i feel like that's so many <laughs> of us right if you're cut out of that generation Yep, I mean, exactly. I just remember seeing Coney and the Barbarian. I'm like, who is this guy? He is jacked out of his mind. He swings a sword, and I don't know. Like, that but, was it for me.
0: Dude, on, on the weekends, you all said WWF wrestling. On the, I mean, True. you go to the movies, you see these huge... And think about it. It's funny to go back and watch older movies. Watch movies from the 60s and 70s where the movie stars, they're just people. There's, yeah. there's no... They did no training, and now you get Chris Pratt, Chris Helmsworth, you get... Any movie star worth their salt is on a GH and on a total physical prep program in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to see just how those bodies have evolved over 40 or 50 years. But no, I think a lot of people at that point, a lot of people in my generation got started with picking up bodybuilding books. And in fact, this was a new thing, man, for years. I mean, I'm sure you've taught courses too, where you ask people in the course, Hey, how many of you, what was your first book that you ever read about fitness? Because when you start coaching, you want to break away from that bodybuilding paradigm of one muscle at a time. Sure. And for years, anytime I asked that question in a workshop, everybody would always raise their hand and say, hey, we, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia Bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, that, that's yeah, everybody no, from, that, sure. from my generation. That's how we all got started. Any trainer yeah. from my generation over the age of 35 or 40, that's probably the first book they bought. Yeah. Last year, I was holding a workshop with a bunch of young trainers in their early 20s and when I asked the question, this was this was very insightful to me. When I asked the question, what was the first book you bought? Nobody raised a hand. And one hand went up in the back of the room and was like, hey, why would you buy a book when you can watch YouTube? And, and really, I mean, that yeah. really, to me, that was a huge, that really was a big paradigm shift for me. Because for years, people, my generation, fitness professionals, my, my age, I keep using that term, but yeah, fitness yeah. professionals, my age would roll their eyes at, at YouTube or, or Instagram or any of these education sources, but there are some really phenomenal content out there on the socials. So it really, it just, it struck me that there's so much more information out there now about yeah. how to train. I mean, from podcasts like yours and from resources that you put out, it's really been amazing to see just how the whole, I guess, approach to fitness has evolved over the last 30 or 40 years.
1: Yeah. it's such a great point. And it's something that I talked about in a show here recently. People asked why I'm investing that time into creating YouTube videos. And I've done it for a long time, but really like diving into it now, it's exactly like you alluded to, right? Kids aren't going and picking up Arnold's bodybuilding encyclopedia anymore, right? They're like, oh, I want to figure out how to row. I'm going to go to YouTube. Or how do I squat more effectively? I'm going to go to YouTube. So hopefully a couple of those kids find their way to my ecosystem and learner thing or two. So that's great.
0: Well, and, that, and that's it for any educator out there. And I'm getting ready to, I think for next year for 2024, I'll be looking at how do I relaunch my, my YouTube channel? Because I was doing that with my podcast. I've you know had a podcast and a YouTube channel for a while. And yep. I put that on hold with my current job. But the thing about YouTube is that content sits out there. It's static. It sits there. And yeah. even if the videos is five, six, eight years old, I mean, look, we all know the science is a science type two muscle fiber. We might learn <laughs> a little bit more about it. Something from seven, eight years ago is going to be pretty much applicable today. So I think that's a great strategy.
1: And, Absolutely.
0: and, and it's a question like, why do I invest the time to write books when people are just? <laughs> it's a lot easier, <laughs> I think, to set up a recording setup and then uh, do a little YouTube than to spend the, the, the time it takes to research and write a book.
1: Yeah, hey man, there's still value in it, right? And, and yeah. sometimes the value is as much for you as the reader, just streamlining and organizing those thoughts. Okay, one other topic here before we dive in, I'd love to hear about your career path. Cause like you said, you've bounced around, You've had numerous gigs and you're in a new role now. So I would just love to hear about your career and kind of what you're doing today.
0: Honestly, if you, my tagline is my job is I make half naked people sweaty, or at least I did for a long time. As I, you know, I would joke about that. People would ask me what I do. Well, I want to make half naked people sweaty. And now I, just, now I teach others how to do that. So right. um, to go in, into the career timeline, in the early 2000s, I was a personal trainer in Washington, D.C. for a health club company that was growing pretty rapidly. And at some point, I became an educator for them. And really, that's when I first got hooked up with NASM, maybe back in, yeah, it was back in 2002. Uh, I, I became an educator for NASM within the health club. And that really started me on my journey. I got a master's degree and then went to work as a director of education for one health club company. We had six health clubs ar- around the country in premium locations. We had we had two clubs in Four Seasons Hotels and two clubs in Ritz-Carlton Hotels. So wow. that was a lot yeah, we're, we're a premium level. Okay. Yeah. Equinox yeah. bought, I left that company a number of years ago and, and Equinox bought them back in 2014. Uh, but from there, I went to the American Council on Exercise. So I got I got hired as an education content creator for ACE and because they wanted somebody who understood the health club market. So for five years, I worked for ACE and really one of my big, I guess one of my big wins there was helping create the IFT model that we used to teach or that ACE used to teach trainers program design. And in all honesty, all that was based on the Soviet system. I mean, if people are familiar with the Soviet stage, five stages up to mastery. Yeah, Same basic concept. I mean, it wasn't Mm. anything groundbreaking. It was just giving ACE a way to systemize training and program design. But from ACE, I left ACE in 2013 to go freelance and be able to do different odd jobs. Part of it was I had a young kid and I wanted to be, my ex-wife worked uh, in law enforcement or works in law enforcement. And I wanted to be able to stay at home and uh, be able to help take care of the kid. I was doing some personal training and was looking to open a training studio when we found out kid number two was coming along. And, and anybody out there who's open a training studio or run a training studio with two young kids, I made the decision to I made a decision to pull away. What I did not want to do was be a studio owner with two kids under the age of three, or try yeah. to launch try to launch a studio in the first year at the same time my second kid was being bored when both kids under the age of three. So I, I stepped away from the studio project and just really doubled down on education and, and content creation. And that was about when I got hooked up with Nautilus and Stairmaster and just really doubled down and just was their primary educator. But along the line, and this is, I mean, to me, I mean, one of my big career highlights is really having the, had the opportunity to create content for both ACE and NASM and Nautilus. Yeah, yeah. So it's really been, I've really had the, the fortune of being able to work with some of the top brands and with some of the top companies in the industry. And that resulted in a couple of years ago, I got hired in 2021. I got hired by EOS Fitness, which is a, we are, we're a chain of six health clubs with locations in Florida, Texas, Arizona. Nevada, Utah and where I am in Southern California. And to be honest man, if you stepped in one of our gyms, it would look like when I was in our Orlando location last year, I thought I was walking into an NCAA training facility. I mean, oh, wow, so we have in, in some of our in some of our bigger locations, we have two field turf areas, we have training sleds. Our standard setup is about 10 Olympic platforms in our gyms now. Some of our larger gyms were going to 15 and 20 platforms because our wow. platforms are I, I like I said, the fitness in the last five to ten years, especially people because of social media and because of YouTube, you now see people in the gym doing programs that elite athletes weren't doing 14 15 years ago. Sure, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I never saw the I, it wasn't until the mid 2020 20 teens when Olympic platforms started showing up in commercial health clubs. And really, what we do is we just create a space where people work out, we make fitness affordable. We make it accessible and we have really killer equipment. And so my job as director of education is I try to help coach up our trainers so they know that how to use the equipment we have and know how to engage the clients that come into our facilities. Wow.
1: That sounds sick, man. I need to check one of these out.
0: Not That's necessarily.
1: I'd have to travel to find one, but still, that sounds awesome.
0: Hey, the next time you're in, I mean, we're in Phoenix, we're in Las Vegas. So the next time you're out in Vegas or oh, the next yeah. time you're in Phoenix, or we're actually, we're growing in Miami. We're growing in Tampa. We are growing in Southern California actually it's funny. We're opening one in Fullerton near Andy, Andy Galpin's college at Fullerton. So I haven't figured out how to, how to tap into that yet to tap into that market, but yeah, at yeah, any time. And, and it goes for anybody listening. If you are in one of our markets and you really want to find a cool big box gym. Now I will say that we're crowded. I mean, we get busy because we're more yeah. affordable, but I mean, I, like I said, we have Olympic platforms. A lot of our gyms have outdoor spaces. A lot of our gyms um, have field turf areas. So if you're looking for a gym with a place to move and with weight that you can lift, you get, look at EOS Fitness, especially. Yeah. In, obviously you don't want to commute from outside of state. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it sounds like an awesome setup. So it, go ahead, sorry.
0: Well, no, i say it's just, it's fun. It's a different application of the science, right? It's, it's one thing when you're working with athletes. The only thing is when you're working with athletes, you have very specific metrics that you can see them get better or you see them not get better. And with trainers, it's the same way. I just, like I said, I look at my trainers and my athletes and like, all right, where do we need to or how do we coach them up where we need to get them better?
1: Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, so seemingly in a different path because you just wrote an entire book on recovery, which I want to talk to you about because that's really what I'm most interested in talking to you about today is this idea of recovery. <laughs> and let's just start with the basics here. What got you interested in this topic to begin with?
0: Okay, good question. My athletic background is in rugby. I started playing, okay. I grew up. In, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. And so I, as a young kid, I'd be down on the, the mall on the weekends and there were fields down the mall and I'd see these guys playing this sport that just, you ran around, you hit people, you tackle people. And I'm like, that looked like fun. And it <laughs> wasn't until I got to college and my college didn't have a rugby team, but I did a semester abroad in London and watched a heck of a lot of rugby on. This was the early nineties, it was 1993. And it was right as rugby, rugby wasn't professional in the UK until the early nineties. Mm. And so I was watching it on TV and, and really was like, man, that looks like a fun sport graduated college in nineteen ninety four and I'm like, I need something to do. I wanna yeah, I'd played a little bit let me put it this way. I was on the football team in college. <laughs> 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 I was like, I realized I wasn't gonna get much playing time. So um, right. I was as a division three team. But I just I realized that afterwards, after college, I wanted a way to stay fit, stay active and meet people. So I started playing club rugby in Washington, DC and that really became the focus. I was actually working on politics. I, I didn't graduate my degrees in political science and economics. So I was doing political <laughs> stuff in DC and playing rugby when that's just, that's how I got interested more into fitness was I started. And and that really goes, that starts a journey because as a rugby player, 24, 25 years old and working in politics in DC, you don't make a lot of money. (laughs) And so I was working, I got a job as a a part-time at a front desk of a gym to get a free membership. I I needed a place to train for rugby. And I figured by working the front desk at a gym, two things, one, it'd be a great way to meet women checking into the gym that worked. Well, especially because the gym was in a relatively gay neighborhood. So The odds were stacked in my favor. That was a very strategic move on my part. (laughs) But I figured I'd work part-time at the front desk to meet people, again, to meet people as young 20-something, but also get a free membership. And that's really where I learned, Mike. I really, I had no idea how to be a personal trainer. I had no idea that you could make a career in personal training. And it was 1998 when I started working part-time at the front desk. And still playing rugby and was just like, anyway, that's how I got started a fitness career. But as a rugby player, I was always researching. I was, I read Bompas periodization back in the late nineties as I got certified by ACE. You have to say I got certified by ACE in 1998 and I went to work for ACE in 2008. So it took me 10 years of yeah. going through that arc to get there. But I just, I started reading everything I could about performance training, especially for rugby. I mean, my goal was to play at the elite level. I never made it to the national team, but I did play in the super league uh, back in the early 2000s which we were out of DC. So we played teams in Chicago, New York, Philly. I mean, we literally traveled around the country. And so we were the precursor to a professional league that now you have major league rugby, which I think is getting ready to kick off its 6 year of professional rugby in the States. But we were, I was in that generation of, and I played front row. I was a hooker in the scrum. So we used to call it in, calling our own scrums in, but that's just really where I started trying to read and learn as much as I could about fitness preparation. And I think it was Probably in the early two thousands, maybe two thousand four, two thousand five. I no, it was before that. It was two thousand three. I saw Mel Sif speak, and I don't, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with, with Mel Sif. He passed away yeah. a number of years ago, um, but he wrote a great uh, he wrote a great book called Super Training. That he literally he was a South African mathematician, and if anybody want, if, if you want to understand anything about physical preparation in sports. Super training would be the book to pick up. It's based on the Soviet method. It it was Verka Shanksy's work, and I'm not pronouncing the name correctly, but Sif pretty much went through and interpreted the the Soviet methodology. And the Soviets really made an emphasis on recovery. And and when you look at it, and, and in college in the early 90s, I actually was an international relations major. And so I had studied the Soviet Union from a political standpoint. And in the Soviet Union, whether you were um, a worker, whether you were a soldier, whether you're an athlete, whether you were a dancer uh, for the ballet company, you belong to the state. So back in the 50s and 60s, the Soviet researchers were, were looking at physical performance in a much different way than we were out here in the West. And, and the Soviets realized that it was better for their athletes to be slightly underprepared for competition be, and, and to be rested before, for competition than to show up like and train the day before a competition. So that really mm. struck with me. It was like, okay, here's the system, a governmental system that put all of its resources into understanding physiology to how to optimize human performance. And they really made an emphasis on rest, recovery, meditation. Visualization is where we, we get, I mean, look, if we apply a metric training, the Soviets, Soviet <laughs> methodology. I yeah. mean- that really is, it wasn't Verkashansky, it was someone else. Maybe it was Verkashansky. It was Verkashansky, yeah. I, I, I did the, the other one I was thinking of because yeah. that was another very, that's another influential book in my career was Strength, Serious Strength Training by Zatzorsky and Kramer. Because again, they go through the Soviet methodology. But yeah. that really was it. I mean, that was it, Mike, was looking at, was understanding that the Soviets made recovery a key component of their training methodology. And then that was what, 04, 05, when I started reading his super training, And it was, I was, I went to work at uh, the American Council on Exercise in 08, and that was right as CrossFit was starting to blow up, right? It was Mm -hmm. 08, 09, CrossFit was starting to blow up. So it was about 2010, maybe, when I realized that everybody was talking about high intensity training, but nobody was talking about what to do after it. So that's when I started, I developed a lecture that I started delivering at idea conferences called Recovery, the Forgotten Training Variable. And at that time, one of the early research, one of the early pieces of uh, research literature published on recovery was by what Eric Bishop, I believe, it was maybe the early to mid 2000s, was one of the first uh, researchers who really did a comprehensive review of the need for recovery. So starting about 2010, 2011, is when I started reading the research, I would prepare talks, uh, give conferences, write articles, write blog posts. And really the, the goal was to help personal trainers understand that if you are gonna use high-intensity exercise, and we know there are tremendous be- benefits from high-intensity exercise, if you are gonna use it, understand how to program the recovery So it has the desired effect for adaptation.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome answer. So like when we start talking about training, we've got our big rocks, like maybe you believe in compound lifts and high intensity followed by low intensity days. There's certain principles that we all adhere to or things that we can hang our hat on. When you're starting to talk to somebody about recovery, what are some of your big rocks or some of your key principles that you like to focus on?
0: I, honestly, it comes back to Bampa. And again, the Soviet methodology, periodization, periodization. And just really, it's like one of the big questions I always ask when I'm in a room full of trainers is just because you can, does not mean you should, or that's one of the big points is just because you can, does not mean you should. Can you train at a high intensity every day? Yeah, you can, but <laughs> you have to understand that you deplete glycogen, you deplete, you, you deplete your body of its energy resources. And if, if you train hard two or three days in a row, there's no chance for glycogen replenishment. And so you're going to be burning, you're going to be burning protein, burning amino acids, going into gluconeogenesis. So it really was just trying to raise that awareness of, Hey, if you're programming the workout, understand what to do for recovery. And the question was like, what are my preferred method? My preferred method is just like taking, is just alternating workouts is is following an undulating model. Obviously right now, personally, I'm not training for anything. So my personal workouts are more on an undulating model. Whereas step or linear periodization would be probably a much better way to go for somebody trained for a specific competition. But they just, the way I understand periodization is it exploits the recovery. The whole point of periodization is to design the workouts to optimize rest periods between workouts and then to do lower intensity workouts between high intensity workouts to allow the body rest and recover. So all that to say, my favorite method of recovery is basically low intensity body weight mobility workout which I find very ironic. Now that's it. I find now that like mobility is like the biggest trend on Instagram right now. We're recording Great. this in the fall of 2023 and mobility is like one of these huge trends. It's those of us have been doing this for a while. Yeah. This is nothing new. I just don't have an Instagram hashtag to, to promote it, <laughs> but it really is. I I think my preferred methodology for recovery is a low intensity mobility workout and then the good old fashioned sleep, just getting yeah. more sleep. Yeah. I
1: love it, man. Yeah. Go back in the the archives Eric Cressy and myself dropped a DVD called Magnificent Mobility in 2006. Mobility's been around for a minute, friends, just because there's better looking people and (laughs) cooler ways to demo it. Hey, man, go back and look at those photos. Eric and I both had a lot more hair back then. But <laughs> well,
0: but if you look at it, I mean, from that was time, I mean, it was probably an evolution of Verstegen's movement preparation. I mean, because Verstegen sure. in the early 2000s and, and every, and see, the thing is, I mean, we're, we're, we've been in the industry about the same amount of time because yep. I saw that you went to Ball State and graduated oh, yeah. with your MS in what, 2000, in the early 2000s. Yeah. So we've, been, so we've both been on this ride about, we've seen, look at how high school athletes are training now. In 2002, oh, yeah. when I was a personal trainer in DC, and you just graduated from the master's degree there really was not much emphasis placed on high school sports development. Now, yeah. if I walk into any high school, any decent high school in the country, you're going to have Olympic platforms. The, the larger high schools will have a strength coach there. I mean, we've seen this huge change just in the 20 years of, of our careers.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you this. Every high school near me, worth its salt, their weight room for their high school now is far superior to the one we had at Ball State, which was a Division I university.
0: Oh, I believe it. No, I'd 100% believe it. Yeah. You know. I mean, because we just, we know so much more about the need for fitness. And as a result, over the last five to seven years, there's been a lot more research on recovery. I mean, like I yeah. said, when I first started looking in this topic about 12, 13 years ago, there was maybe, I couldn't find that many sources, that many published peer reviewed sources on recovery. And in fact, there was some debate on the need for recovery. I remember there were one or two re- research studies I read. Where there's some debate on the need. I like, there's no need for this. The regular rest is all we need to do. <laughs> I can't remember which, re, which document that was, but I remember reading that and just, and now there's a much different mindset.
1: Absolutely. So, one thing you mentioned was sleep. And obviously, sleep is a huge component of just general health and being, but obviously recovery as well. Here's the thing though everybody knows they should sleep more. How do you go, go about getting people to actually do it?
0: Uh, if I knew how to do, I, hey, that's my goal. I'm trying to sleep more, right? I mean, my, my goal. I <laughs> right. mean, literally, my goal is I try to get to bed around ten, and I hope to be asleep by eleven. I'm trying to get yeah. in bed, do a little bit of reading, do a little bit of winding down. And I think the interesting thing I was actually listening to a podcast this morning, a news podcast this morning, that made the statement that they're showing that the research is showing apps like what's the dining app, like Resi and other apps mm. where you make reservations are showing that people are making earlier and earlier reservations. So yeah. a big trend around the country is earlier reservations. And the hosts on this uh, podcast were hypothesizing that might be a result of Andrew Huberman talking about the need for sleep and recovering his podcast, that there's mm. a much more, there's a much greater awareness now of the need for sleep. And I think it just, it's, you have what Matthew Sinclair, the doctor of Australia, who, oh, yeah. who wrote a book on sleep, who, who I know is a big, I think he does a podcast too on yep. sleep. There's a, there's a lot more resources on it now. And I think people are discovering that if, if you get to bed a half hour earlier, you feel much better the next day. And two years—no, was it two years ago? Yeah, two, two or three years ago, I interviewed Dr. Craig Heller from Stanford for my podcast, and he made—he's he studies sleep, and he made the point that if you sleep an extra hour a night, that's sleep an entire extra night during the course of a week. And yeah. it really is. And who did I see lecture? It was a doctor. I want to say Brandon. Oh, I'm blanking on his last name. Skinny dude with glasses writes about does a lot of research on on recovery, but I remember he he went through I was in one of his lectures, and he showed two athletes with the same training volume. One athlete slept six hours a night, and the other athlete slept eight hours a night, and the athletes that slept the athlete that slept longer had greater performance so yeah. it was just when you see data like that and, and when you start tracking your sleep, I think people start realizing that, wow, this is the one performance thing that I can really do. I'm already doing it it doesn't cost anything. The only thing I need, maybe need to do is shut down my TV and get off my screens earlier because they do keep you awake. And that's one right. of the things I did is I have two kids. My kids are – I started late. My kids are in elementary school. And in order to set the example of trying to minimize their screen time, I got rid of my TV. So mm-hmm. I, do, yeah. I do watch an iPad. I do watch a, a phone. So I'm not going to say – I'm like, oh, yeah, screen I'm yeah, no, I'm not at all, but I just, <laughs> I had this stupid, ridiculous, oversized TV that I'm like, why am I watching this thing at night? Cause it's right. not good for me. And so I got rid of it and I did it also to set the example for my kids of, Hey, screen time is not good for us. I'm getting rid of my TV. Therefore, when I come at you for get putting down your iPads, I, I have a little bit more validity there. I'm doing it from a position of leadership and not just doing it because I say to do it.
1: Yeah. I love it. We'll talk about trends that have come full circle. So I opened, I, Bill and I opened our gym in 2008. And so when you open a gym, you're working split shifts, right? Like you're there at 545, six, and you're there till 7pm, 8pm. And I just remember every morning I'd get up and I had a lot of, at the time, Twitter was still a thing and very cool. And I had a lot of news people that I followed because I was trying to like get in with media people, hey, come check out our gym, like create a buzz. And one of the, most popular hashtags at this point in time was hashtag team no sleep mm. because these newscasters they're up at two in the morning to be at the office at three or four make up all that they're on at five and I was like yeah like everybody's oh yeah we don't need to sleep let's grind so think about that emphasis and that shift in the last 10 to 15 years from team no sleep to hey man I'm trying to be in bed at 9 30 like how can we pull this off
0: you're a hundred percent right. Because a friend of mine, Rick Ritchie, who's an educator for NASM, he had opened a recovery studio in New York city in the maybe 2016 or 2017. He ended up shutting it down during 2020 when New York city basically shut down. But when I visited him, was it? 2018. I can't forget when I was in his studio, maybe 2018 or 2019. But he said most of his clients were not athletes. They were wall street hedge fund and investment people yeah. because yeah. they were there. It was, they're recovering from the stress of their job. They weren't necessarily recovering from the training. They were there to do the oxygen chamber, to do the decompression chamber, to do the IR sauna because of the high performance stress, because of the stress required for their job. And I think that's one of the the better things we have so much deeper understanding of is the fact that all stress accumulates and sleep is really one of the best ways to mitigate stress, whether it's physical from training or emotional, mental from other things that we might go through.
1: I love it. I love it. One of the other things I think that's great now that we didn't have 15 years ago, or at least the technology is so much better, is the wearables and the ability to track some of this stuff, whether it's a Garmin, an Aura Ring, a Morpheus. I don't even know what else is out there because I'm sure there's a thousand of them. But there's so many cool tools out there now to help really make you aware of, oh, wow, I slept six hours last night. You can see my resting heart rate is up. My HRV is down. Oh, subjectively, I'm in a pissy mood today. Like all those things really help you understand your body a little bit better and see some of the impact that lack of sleep could potentially be having on. you.
0: And and think about that because I'm sure you're probably the same thing of where you realize that at some point that you're probably burning the candle on both ends, as you said, open up your gym. But then as soon as you start going to bed a little bit earlier, as soon as you start getting that extra half an hour, extra 45 minutes of sleep. Oh my goodness, why did I not do this sooner? <laughs> right. Like, Absolutely. I mean, you would have talked performance drugs, man. I mean, go yeah. to bed an hour and a half earlier at <laughs> night. And I mean, forget, for, I'm not going to spend $1,000 a month on TRT. I'm going to go, I'm just going to sleep more. I'm going to eat some higher fat. At 51 years old, I'm always looking for how do I up my T levels? I can eat different things and get more sleep. And, and I'm not going to go on. I'm waiting till my kids hit. I have two daughters. I'm waiting till they hit high school before I hit any TRT. (laughs) Especially my younger daughter's gonna be, my younger daughter's gonna be a handful. Oh yeah,
1: you got it. It's like the ace in the back pocket, right? When you need it, you can pull it out.
0: 100%, yeah.
1: Not before, I like it. Okay, so something else that you mentioned, and I think this is really valuable, is this concept of structuring your workload, structuring your workout, structuring your training week to better accommodate recovery. So could you dive into that just a little bit more, how you might go about doing that? Because I think a lot of people hopefully understand this concept, but there's probably others, too, that are new to this, right? Young trainers that are just thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to squat this day and deadlift this day. So how do you go about structuring workouts maybe over a week to help people better recover and make sure they're getting the most out of the training sessions
0: they do get in? That's a great, that's a great question. And it really is trial and error. Like I said, I worked in Washington, D.C. as a personal trainer. And what I realized early on, I mean, if anybody, this was back in the days when we actually, we, Congress has never been 100% functioning, but this is back <laughs> in the days when uh, government was somewhat functioning in the early 2000s. Everybody was on, on the same page after 9-11. And in D.C., the federal budget ends on September 30th and starts on, and the new one starts on October one. So the two busiest times in DC are like between April and, and June when they're writing the budget, and then between like maybe late August to late September when everybody's trying to spend all the money so they get the money back for <laughs> next year's budget. Your federal government at work, folks. But uh, so those are like the two busiest periods, and then you combine in there the holiday period. But I noticed that when my clients got busier in their schedules, that's when I would drop down and they didn't have as much time to get to the gym. So that's when I started structuring and doing more bodyweight workouts and less high intensity workouts just because it made sense. And this was before I even really started understanding the science about research and recovery. It just made sense to me that, hey, you have a lot more going on at work. You don't need to kill yourself at the gym. Just get here and do something. And doing something is better than nothing. And really, and so what I try to get people thinking about, and this is really what I mean by people's trainers. When I would lecture on train to trainers, it's like one of the first things you should do when you work with, if you're a new client, one of the first things I'm gonna do, Mike, is when are the busiest times of your year? I'm mm-hmm. I, mean, I want it, cause as a trainer, I, I don't want, I don't want just to work with you for three months. I wanna work with you for a long time. So sure. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with the big picture and be like, all right, Mike, do me a favor, tell me your busiest times of year. When are the times, when are the times of year that you know whether it's work, whether it's family stuff, when you know that your time is limited. Okay, great. Those are your active recovery times. Those are, if you know that December is just jacked for you because you got kids, you got holiday stuff, fine. December is now going to become your off-season transition period. So that way between Thanksgiving and New Year's, I'm not going to emphasize a lot of physical development. I'm, it's going to be much more of a, let's work on mobility. Let's work on just maintenance. Let's do workouts that you can get done in 20 or 30 minutes. You won't have a lot of time for the gym. And then maybe you're an executive and maybe you have budget time and you're on a fiscal year, you're on a January 1 fiscal. So you're making your budget now in like the September, October timeframe. You might have busier time. Then you might be doing more work or you might have more meetings. That would be another time where like, all right, let's ratchet down the high intensity exercise because you're gonna have more stress at work. And let's talk about like, Can we add meditation? Can we add yoga to your workout? Because it's not about and that's a message that's really important. I think the message is getting out there. Because recovery is not about not exercising, recovery is just about changing the, imme- the the intensity and volume of exercise so you're not overstressing the system, you're not overstressing the body, and that really is, is the key. Is just it's talking with clients, just being like, "Hey, look, whenever you have a high stress period, let's drop down. Don't not exercise, but maybe go for a 30 minute walk instead of going to the gym for that hit workout, or right. maybe try yeah. to get five to 10 minutes of meditation in there at certain points during the day, just to keep your to keep your mind right and to keep everything working the right way." And that really is, I mean, that, those are practical ways of looking at recovery for people that are not athletes. But then if you're working with like those people that, like when I've worked with clients who are runners, like in DC, the Marine, you had the cherry blossom 10 miler in the spring and you had the Marine Corps marathon in the fall. And so I would have clients train for both races and it would just be structuring their workouts along with other things. It just, it yeah. becomes mindful. I look at every, as a trainer, as a coach, you've got to look at all, I look at athletes and so what are all the stressors we deal with in life? You have your physical stress from the sport and from training. You have stuff going on at home. You have stuff going on at work. And our job as coaches is to say, okay, your stress level might be getting a little bit high here. We don't have anything coming up right now. You don't have any, you're not competing for a playoff. You're not, you're in maybe mid-season. We can back off your intensity a little bit now to mitigate this other stress, you know, this other stressor. When that other stressor now lowers, now you can increase that intensity of exercise again. That really, I think is key for really coaches to understand that, that our job in programming is to really look at how do we mitigate the stress response for our clients.
1: Dude, that's brilliant. And I'll be honest, I've never heard of somebody doing that so proactively, right? We do that with athletes. Hey, from November to April, you're in season. So we back our training stress because your competition stress is gonna be through the roof. And sometimes I think we do it reactively with our gen pop clients, right? Somebody comes in and they just look like a hot mess. They're not gonna have a good session. Oh man, we better do some recovery foam rolling mobility, but I really like that idea of being proactive about it and asking them up front, when are your stressful times? So I can plan around that. I love that. The other part that I love too, is this idea of, Hey, just because we're going to have a period of, I don't want to call it detraining, but more maintenance. It's not about doing nothing, but we're going to do that 20 to 30 minutes of things that are lower stress, maybe lower impact. They're not going to stress your body as much, but it's keeping that consistency up right? Because as well as I do, it's that habit. Yeah. Don't lose that habit muscle of going to the gym, doing these things regularly. So I love that message of, hey, look, just because we're backing off, that doesn't mean we're stopping training. Yeah, And I think that's something we can all benefit from, right? If you train gym pop clients, letting them know, hey, stressful period, I get it. We can back off in the gym, but that doesn't mean we cut it off altogether.
0: And, and that's a great, and dude, that's a that's the right message. And two, it's looking at it is I always look at stress mitigation and I just forgot the point I was going to make. That's the, the hard part about having been a rugby player and getting a lot of concussions in my early 20s is it sometimes <laughs> pops up. But really, when you look at Gen Pop, it really is a matter of just understanding what are the, where are the stressors? How do we mitigate their stressors? And it really is looking at, hey, if you're doing too much of any one thing, it's not going to be good for your health and not going to be good for your body. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing now is we're getting a balance of we're getting a much better understanding of that. right? Oh, that's where I was going. I was going to go with functional overreaching. See, I knew if I thought about it for a second, it yeah, came back to me. but when you look at functional overreaching for sport, you might do a functional overreach maybe five to 10 days before the start of a season or a competition to push the body and then to back off a little bit. And so what I started doing with clients too, if a client went on vacation, we'd push it hard for the week or two before they went on vacation. And I would say, just enjoy vacation. This is now going to be your rest and recovery period, right? And we're going to push yeah. you a little bit harder. And that was really before I really understood what the whole purpose of a functional overreach was. It just made sense as you're getting ready for a vacation. There's one client I had for you. It's funny because she was going on this vacation and, and she was one of these little chatter boxes. And <laughs> she had told me she wanted to wear this one specific bikini on her vacation. That's why she was training. So anytime she started chit chatting, all I had to say is a bikini and she would shut up and get back to work. she so <laughs> like, I don't want to, no, 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 bikini. We need to train for your bikini. Okay. Right. Know, but, yeah, But so I, that's an example of pushing somebody, pushing them hard and then saying, hey, look, on vacation, wear your bikini, drink your drinks, have some fun and you will pick up training when you get back. Yeah. It's just it's applying that because that's the thing of having been an athlete and I've worked with some athletes over the years, but really, I've worked primarily with Gen Pop. And it just is it's a matter of I would always apply the same methodology and I would tell them that, look, I'm going to train you the same way that an elite athlete trains, not the same volume and intensity but with the same methodology and the same approach. And that's yes, really, sir. that's where I just end up getting, I mean, a lot of my clients end up being attorneys they were executives in the DC area because they just, they appreciated that and they stayed with me for years. I mean, the only reason why I, I left that was just to move on in my education career.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, one more big topic here and then we'll start to wrap up. One thing I know you and I are both passionate about is this idea of workouts as we age, right? Longevity is a very hot buzzword in our industry, arguably the biggest right now, right? Like we can talk about mobility or high intensity or zone two cardio. Longevity is one of the hottest buzzwords. So when you're thinking about workouts for longevity, what are you emphasizing?
0: That's actually the topic of my second book. My second book is Aegis Intensity, High Intensity yeah. Workouts to slow, slow the Aging Process. And that really was both these books. And here's a little secret. And, and now that these books are published, I can say this. <laughs> starting about starting in about maybe 2015 2016 i started having the ideas for these books and so i started pitching like ace idea and, and other other companies i work for on content and so i basically i got paid to develop that content for them whether it's an article or a blog that, yeah. that content also became like workshops that content became conference lectures and then all that stuff got rolled up into the books i wrote so basically mm-hmm. yeah. i got paid i've gotten paid two or three times on the same content by just right. building on it over the years. So just sure. for any of you, for any of you burgeoning, if, if any coaches out there are thinking about how do I get into the, to the content game, into the speaking game, recycle. Update yeah. your references, yeah. update the research, but just recycle. But you're right, longevity is really, cause longevity ties into high intensity training. And that's what I realized in going through the research is high intensity training boosts growth hormone, it boosts testosterone. And again, we can think the Soviets because the Soviets were the ones that really started measuring that and what they start doing. Let's give our, let's give our athletes extra testosterone to help them recover quicker.
1: Right. (laughs) And that's where we got
0: PE. That's where we got PEDs from. PEDs are again, an outcome of the Soviet system. But when you look at longevity and this becomes a balance, right? Because high intensity exercise activates the type two muscle fibers. And that's one of the things I realized in going through the research for ageless intensity is if I'm in my sixties and seventies and I'm walking, I'm doing yoga, maybe I'm doing water aerobics, that's primarily endurance aerobic exercise. There's not a lot of type two overload there. So we're not doing any glycogen depletion. So that's going to affect diabetes. That's going to affect whether or not I can effectively metabolize carbohydrates when I take them in. So I think looking at that, one of the big things for longevity is strength training and power training, keeping up the activation of the type two muscle fibers and keeping keeping them working. Part of it is for function, but also part of it is too for carbohydrate metabolism. And nobody Mm -hmm. thinks about that. Nobody walks into the gym saying, all right, today's my carbohydrate metabolism day. Because essentially, (laughs) I mean, look, if you're doing a zone two workout, if you're doing a 90 minute zone two workout, that's primarily fat oxidation. You're going to get some glucose metabolism in there, but it's primarily fat oxidation. But a higher intensity where you get into type two, the anaerobic training, and you get into depletion, you go into the lactate system and you go into the glycogen, you go into the ATP PC system. That really helps the body become more efficient in metabolizing the carbohydrates we eat. And so that's one of the key things that I think for as we age is training with intensity. But as we age, we need more recovery, right? So, right? so as we age, I mean, you can do a high intensity workout in your 40s and 50s, but whereas you could do maybe a high intensity workout three or four days a week in your 20s and 30s, now that I'm in my 50s, I maybe do high intensity two or three days a week. I, I'll yeah. plan for, I mean, honestly, I plan for three high intensity workouts a week. And I sometimes will scrap one of them just because if I'm not feeling 100%, I back off and I'll do, I'll still work out, but I just don't do it. I don't do a high intensity workout. I just moderate it. And that really is, I think the key for longevity, one is what you said earlier with habits. You're absolutely on the money with that is have those habits and have those consistency. But with longevity, we need to stress our body with training. We need to activate the type two fibers. We need to work on the stretch short cycle, right? We need to keep the fascia healthy because if we don't work on the stretch short cycle, I mean, look, we, Aaron Rodgers, what, four weeks ago was a perfect example. Of what happens when the, when, you can't a, when the amortization phase goes wrong and right. a tendon doesn't go from lengthening to shortening the right way and it goes snap. And that really yeah. is, I mean, putting all that together. So to me, longevity is a combination of high-intensity strength training, plyometric training, high-intensity interval training, but a reasonable amount of hit training. A lot of consumers yeah. out there, they get, oh, I'm going to do 30 minutes a hit. When, when you look at the studies on the Dabata protocol, there's one study that came out published in 2018, and I always love referring to this study. And I'm, I'm trying to, it began with a G, the, the, study, the primary author, and that's why I'm like just trying to remember that. But this study had three different groups. Two of the groups were Tabata groups. One group did bodyweight Tabata, just doing like burpees, jumping jacks, and a couple other bodyweight exercises. The other group did a four minute Tabata on a treadmill. So you had two Tabata groups, mm. and then you had one group do 30 minutes. They did 30 minutes of moderate intensity work on a treadmill each group worked out three times a week and the cool thing about the study is I think it was either 16 or 18 weeks long it was a longer study Oof. so it was a little yeah so 16 or 18 week study and what they found was the two Tabata groups the people exercising 12 minutes a week got better results than the people in terms of vo2 and in terms of fat loss than the people training for 90 minutes a week and that really is I mean that just puts the yeah, I mean for those of us that read the research we understand that but for right. the consumers out there I, I try to highlight that because it's look hit workouts are great, but you don't need more than maybe five to 10 minutes of them at any given time. And that would be, I say that because in my opinion, and this is just my opinion based on what I've read in the research is that as we age, especially in our fifties, sixties and seventies, we should be doing hit workouts two, maybe three times a week, but sub 10 minute, I mean, to follow the Martin Kabbalah model, sub 10 minute hit workouts, right? We don't need to do a slam your face into the wall until grandma pukes. You just need to get (laughs) your heart rate up and be out of breath for two or three times a week. You know, that yeah. that type of stuff put together with sleep, with the proper sleep, with proper nutrition, with proper stress mitigation, like meditation. We don't know yet, but that should extend our lifespan. I would imagine five, 10 years at least if we do that Abs- stuff.
1: Absolutely. I love it, man. Okay, my guy, big question time. All right. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Pete McCall one piece of advice,
0: what would it be? buy real estate or buy Apple. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, honestly, I'm at that phase right now where it seems like everybody, other, other person I know has like a rental property or, or manages an Airbnb. And I'm like going, shit, I missed out on that. Part of that's due mm-hmm. to my divorce, but that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole another conversation. <laughs> but if, if I could, if I could go back into the late 1990s, I would tell young Pete McCall either buy Apple, buy Amazon or buy real estate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Any of the three would put you in a pretty strong financial situation.
0: Right. If you bought Apple in nineteen ninety seven and you held it to today, say you bought ten thousand dollars worth of Apple in nineteen ninety seven, and I didn't have thousand dollars at that time; I was like twenty four, right. twenty five years old. But if you had bought you know ten thousand dollars worth of Apple in ninety seven, it'd probably be worth like maybe four and a half, five million dollars today,
1: oh you know, my just gosh. just
0: from all the the growth and the stock splits. So anyway, wow. that's neither here nor there. But for any anybody, and I tell this to, to the young personal trainers I work with in the one hundred percent seriousness, one of the best things I did in my early twenties was start my four hundred one k. So that when yeah. I was a personal trainer in my late 20s and early 30s, 20% of every one of my training sessions went into my 401k account. And that yes. really is, I mean, I cannot, if you're a young coach, if you're a young trainer and you're starting your career, I know that the inflation right now is gnarly, but <laughs> any money that you can save today is going to pay massive dividends 20, 30 years from now. I mean, the investments I started in the late 90s are definitely, I mean, I started investing in the late 90s and I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, it's paid off. I mean, I can definitely, absolutely. It's, it's worth the outcome.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I always reference a book called Profit First. I mm. don't know if you've ever read it. It's mm. fantastic. Think the envelope system for your fitness business. But even if you're not a business owner, if you're a personal trainer, you still own yourself. You are your own business to some degree. So getting in that habit of whatever you're taking home, putting a certain amount aside, like you said, for your 401k, for your retirement, you're never too young to start, and please don't wait until you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s to start doing this. Right, start now. when you're young. 100%. Compound interest, my friend. Compound 100%. interest.
0: 100. That that really is for anybody under <laughs> the age of 25 out there starting your career. Whatever you can save now, do it because yeah, I can look at I can look at my 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 investment account now <clears throat> and see that just it's grown over. I started it in what 99 or 2000, so over 23 years, it's it's definitely been
1: yeah. Buy yeah, Apple. It's important. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, and buy Apple. Yeah. Okay. Last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, I'm really interested to hear this one. You have to choose the Far Side or Calvin and
0: Hobbes. That's not a fair question, man. <laughs> I have. I honestly, both yes. my kids now, both my kids now are reading my, my both my Far Side and Calvin and Hobbes books. I saved them yes. over the years. That's. I awesome. would say. Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, I had a T-shirt yeah. in college. A day without a buzz is a day that never was. And it was Calvin. <laughs> it was it was Hobbes holding up Calvin while Calvin was doing a, a funnel upside down. Was doing a beer funnel. <laughs> so it's a perfect. Uh, hey, I was a frat boy. I was a frat boy in the early '90s. It was a perfect yeah. frat boy T-shirt. So I'm going to go Calvin yes. and Hobbes.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, Cade, my son is. He just turned ten, and so funny because he started bringing these Calvin and Hobbes books home from his library at school. We'll sit there and read them together, and I'm laughing. Like I'm oh. 10 years old again. So they're hilarious. Oh, It's great. great. I mean, great just stuff. the
0: imagination of a young boy. I mean, that to me, I mean, every kid should be reading Calvin and Hobbes, especially young boys, yeah. like about your son's age. That's perfect. Love that. Yeah,
1: it's so fun. Okay. Number two, talk to me about the tattoos on the inside of your arms. Mm. Talk to me about those. Those are cool.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That means you took a time to look at the Instagram. So thank you. That that, that, that was good. I always liked, but it's funny when I hosted my podcast, I always look for that one thing I could ask a guest like that. So I appreciate, I certainly appreciate that little Easter egg. No, I I mentioned I have two daughters. And when I, so I used to take them to the gym. I I would teach classes at a couple of different gyms while I was freelancing as a content creator. And anytime I'd pick my daughters up from the daycare, I would hold them from my arms and they would swing from my arms. You're doing the meat yeah. thing, a yeah. two-year-old daughter hanging on your arms. So when they got too big and they can't swing on my arms anymore, I put there, my one daughter was born in 2012. That's the Chinese year of the dragon. And so I have a dragon tattoo on my right, the inside of my right arm. And my other daughter was born in 2014, the Chinese year of the horse. And so I have a horse on the other arm. So that's basically cool. those tattoos are so that my, my, my kids, my daughters will always be hanging from my arm and I'm going to tear up a little bit, but that, that's why I got them. So my daughters always stay close to me. It, it will always be those. I mean, anybody who's a dad out there with little girls knows yeah. that your, your, your little girl is always going to be two or three years old in your mind. And yeah. any woman out there, just trust, no matter how successful you become, no matter what you achieve in your life as, as a woman, Your dad is always going to look at you. If he's any man worth a sense of being a man, your dad is always going to look at you as that little two or three year old girl in in, in that mindset. So no, those tattoos were so my girls, my little girls are with me for the rest of my life.
1: I love it, dude. Those were awesome. Yeah. Big family man over here. So I respect that. I just thought that was so cool. Okay. Number three, a little bit more lighthearted. What got you into biking? What's the, what's the biking game like these days?
0: I don't compete. I mean, I, in the 80s, again, I was a kid in the 80s, and I got into BMX when I was maybe 13, 14 years old, and that was just what kids did. I think the movie Rad came out. The movie Rad came out in like 85 or 86, and I was into, into biking. My, some friends and I built jumps, but that's when we really started getting into it, and so I spent my teenage years BMX racing, and that's one of the reasons why I moved out to California for college was I had this dream of being a professional BMX racer. But I realized pretty quickly that my my future was more academic oriented than. in... I went out to one race in my age class, seventeen and over expert. I was at, is it, it was not what year it was. Where was it? Nor, it was like it was, it was not far. I went to college in Redlands in Southern California, and I'm, Yorba Linda. I went to the Yorba Linda track. as an NBL track. Seventeen and over X. I got smoked. I raced it <laughs> twice. I got so smoked. I'm like, you know what? Let me just focus on college because I in order to be be a pro racer in order to be able to race because 17 and over X is basically the, the level right below pro or it was in the 80s. I don't know what it's like now. And so I just, I, but I've always, I think I was after that I was my freshman or sophomore year of college. I got rid of my BMX bike and got a mountain bike and just started mountain biking. And unlike, unlike BMX where I raced in mountain biking, I don't race. I just want to enjoy it. So yeah. that's my, that's like my, I probably do that two or three days a week is go out for a mountain bike ride or go out for a, go out for a, a hike. And what I like about mountain biking is mountain biking to me is my dopamine rush. It is my dopamine, that's my my flow state. You have to yeah. read uh, Steven Kotler's book on the, what, the rise of Superman, was I realized that mountain biking is a form of meditation. Doing anything hard like that, whether you're rock climbing, ice climbing, sea kayaking, stand up, whatever, anything challenging and somewhat risky like that puts you in a flow state and is a form of meditation. So really, I mean mountain biking to me is probably 30-50% exercise. And 30 to 50% mental is really just yeah. that, like that. Of the, I just need that something to challenge myself. I need something to scare myself. And frankly, I need the dopamine rush of flying down the hill pretty fast. And every record, I mean, right now, I mean, my Instagram feed is full of uh, Red Bull Rampage. And for anybody <laughs> who's ever seen it, it Red, Red Bull Rampage is where these guys are insane athletes, but they do these gnarly drowned downhill courses. They're jumping over like 100 foot canyon gaps. They're jumping like insane. I mean, the physical performance- oh of these athletes are absolutely i mean it's dangerous as hell and i'm yeah nev- i am never I'll, I'll be very emphatic i am not going to be riding like that <laughs> in my <laughs> 50s but yeah. it's so amazing to see what some of these athletes can do and bmx athletes too i mean back yeah. in, in the 1980s of a, a 540 on a, on a half pipe ramp was like the was thought to be the height of human performance and now you have man some of these bmx athletes are doing amazing i mean they're doing bike flips they're doing it's insane what they're doing. Yeah. And so literally my Instagram feed is probably twenty percent point twenty percent fitness models because I'm a guy yeah. and because I follow fitness, it's probably about twenty percent rugby because I follow a couple of different rugby teams, a couple of different strength coaches in the rugby and other coaches in rugby. I've coached uh, high school rugby on and off for over the years. Okay. It's probably twenty uh, percent BMX and like mountain biking stuff. It's about ten to twenty percent bulldog stuff, and then I think the rest of it's like dancers. Cause my daughter's like watching like dancers. And so I have a very eclectic Instagram feed, but i love what I love about too, about mountain biking is to me is it keeps me young, right? Like some people like you, you may have played uh, basketball. It looks like you have a basketball behind you. So you may have played high school basketball and for you going out and playing pickup on the weekends, no matter what age you are, you still feel like you're 16 years old banging, banging it in this high school gym. And and I think, I mean, my advice for anybody out there as you're going through the aging process, again, I'm 51 years old. Having something, whether it's biking, skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, skiing, playing pickup basketball, having something a sport like that that you can carry with you throughout your life. I mean, that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I look around, I'm like, I don't feel like I'm 51 years old, yeah, and I think that's not, partly because yeah. I've been working in gyms for my entire career, and in and, and, and the gyms, everybody looks the same. I mean, everybody else is getting older, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also too, I really, I fundamentally, there's no way to quantify this, and there's no way to get any data on it. But I fundamentally believe if you have a sport that you love or an activity that you love and you do it throughout your lifetime, that helps keep that keeps you mentally healthy and that keeps you just fit. It gives you a reason for being active. And so yeah. for me, mountain biking is that for, other, for you, it might be basketball. For somebody else, it might be snow skiing. But I really for just for longevity and long term, the long term athletic development for Gen Pop, just finding some sort of activity that you can do throughout your life, I think is key is critical. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, man. OK, man. Last but not least, what's next for Pete McCall? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything?
0: I'm not writing any more books right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I say that because it's like for anybody that's ever it's like having a baby. You go through it. It takes about the same amount of time as like the gestation period. It takes about eight to twelve months to go through all the research and put it all together, like that. But really, it's just for what's next. I'm just doubling down. I'm focused on my job with EOS Fitness. We're in a rapid growth mode. We're opening up a number of clubs around the country and. Frankly, I got to get better at my job. I mean, we have, what, 1,200 personal trainers for us, and I just want to be good at supporting them. I really want to help us grow and want to help us get to where we get to because one of the cool things I like about what we're doing at EOS is we're a very affordable gym. We call what we're HVLP, high value, low price. And so Mm -hmm. we're making fitness accessible. We're, We're going into markets that maybe haven't had gyms like this before. We go into former big box stores. So if that Walmart shuts down in your town and you're in one of our markets, we might be going in there. <laughs> you yeah. Know, if that, I mean, seriously, we're in a couple yeah. former Walmarts. We're in a couple former, that's where we go. We go into former yeah. big box stores. And I just, I'm after being a freelancer for a number of years and doing a lot of consulting work, I really just am enjoying being a member of an organization, being a member of a team. And just, I want to learn, figure out how to learn and grow and support my team the best I can.
1: I love it, man. I love it. Pete, it's been amazing to chat with you today, learn more about you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing?
0: If they're interested in seeing the occasional mountain biking thing, and, and I am going to start <laughs> doing more, more fitness stuff again. And I'm also starting to play pickleball. I have to admit that, okay. that yeah. I am, I am joy. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm in San Diego and, and most women my age are playing pickleball. So being a single guy, <laughs> I got to go. Yeah. It's, a, it's an active sport and everything else. Where am I going with that? Oh, so I would be starting to post more content, but it's Pete McCall. I have to look at my Instagram. I don't even, it's like Pete McCall Fitness. Hold on one second. I'll right, tell you.
1: No, don't worry about it. I'll find it. you finally i put it, it up there. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Pete <laughs> McCall Fitness. I don't have a website anymore, but just the books I have out are Smarter Recovery. That's by Human Kinetics. I have Ageless Intensity, again, by Human Kinetics, and I have Smarter Workouts. So all three of those, Smarter Workouts teaches you how to design workouts for metabolic conditioning, mobility, and strength training. And then Ageless Intensity goes into how to use exercise, to maintain your youth and mitigate the aging process. And then smarter recovery goes into what should we be doing after training? So all buy three if people buy all three of those books from Amazon, best deal out there, that'll teach you everything you need to know to, to be able to be healthy and productive in the long term. And a lot of my resources go back to the, the Soviet mo- methodology. So yeah. I'm, a big, I'm a big geek, the Soviet methodology. I just try to apply that. But yeah, no, just Instagram and, and, and Amazon right now for the books are the best places people can go.
1: I love it, man. I'll make sure I get those links in the show notes. And again, Pete, this is awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Hey, thanks for your time. And, And for listeners out there, thanks for letting me spend some of your day with you. Appreciate it.
1: All right, my friend that does it for this week's episode with Pete McCall. Really hope you enjoyed it. I think there were some really solid nuggets in there. And I think my favorite part of the show was when we were talking about planning and programming for your gen pop clients. You know, when I have an athlete, it's very easy to say, okay, the end season is your most stressful time of year. We're going to have to plan accordingly, but doing the same thing with your gen pop clients. I think that is so brilliant and finding ways to figure out when they're going to go through those stressful periods so you can plan and periodize their program accordingly. So some real nuggets throughout this show. Really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I got a small favor to ask. If you are not already subscribed to the show, please go and do that right now. Lots and lots of areas where you can subscribe, although some of them have gone away. I know iTunes is still there. Spotify, still there. Amazon, YouTube podcasts. Some of those fringe podcast services aren't there anymore, but all the big ones, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, that does it for this week's episode. Just want to say really quickly, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.